This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Turn with me in your Bible, please, to Matthew chapter 25. It is the third day of a new year. So what are you thinking about these days? Well, we're probably all doing a little bit, at least, of self-reflection. Looking back at what was, for all of us, an unexpected year. You may be looking back at blessings, at wonderful things that happened. You may be looking back at what you would consider disaster or difficult things that happened. Uh, But you're likely asking questions like, uh, what will be different this year? How will I grow in 2021? How will I respond differently to trouble in a new year? Uh, Maybe you're a New Year's resolution person. Maybe you're a strong anti-New Year's resolution person. Uh, But either way, whether you you package it that way or not, uh, we're probably all thinking, um, and it's valuable to ask ourselves, uh, looking back in 2020, what did I do with what I had? And looking forward to 2021, what will I do with what I have? That's what we're going to be considering this morning and over the next two months in our adult Bible fellowships uh, from a biblical perspective. There's a lot of thinking about goals and, and trying to think about the future and, and uh, you know, the whole idea of I'm going to better myself. That's from a completely unbiblical perspective and it's unhelpful. Uh, But we can look at these things and see what the Bible has to say. And we're going to do that as we consider the subject of stewardship. And today we're going to ask the question, what is stewardship? If you were to travel to the United Kingdom, uh, which of course you can't do right now, uh, but if you were to do that, perhaps you have, you would notice that our countries share a lot of similarities, but you'd also notice a lot of differences. And one of the things that you might notice um, is all of the old, big houses. Um, they, they have special names that they give to the houses, um, you know, some kind of such-and-such such manner, uh, or it's a country house for this certain family. But these tend to be places that were, um, they were once the homes of the aristocracy. And in many cases, they're still, they still belong to those families. You know, this might be the home of Lord such and such or the Duchess of whatever. Um, But these big houses, and back in the day, times have changed, but back in the day, uh, an extensive staff would have been employed by these families and would have worked at a house like this. Uh, They would have been people that worked there to make sure everything stayed clean, uh, to cook rich meals for the family, uh, to keep the family looking their best, and to entertain large groups of guests. And overseeing much of that would have been an important figure, the butler. Now, when we think of a butler these days, we tend to think of somebody in a suit who answers the door for a rich person so that they don't have to do it. Um, The butler we're talking about had quite a bit of work they would have done. Um, They would have overseen many of the other servants in the home. They would have been making sure that things were just as they should be, that lamps were lit, that fireplaces were tended, that food was cooked and served in just the right way, uh, that the table was set according to exact specifications. 
and that things went just the way they ought to, especially when those, the folks who own that home entertain guests. The butler was entrusted with the house, and, and many would have taken a, had a great deal of pride in the fact that they held that position. But if you'd ask someone, whose house is that? The answer would not be, well, it's Mr. Butler. The answer would have been, that belongs to Lord so-and-so, or such-and-such a family. See, the butler was essentially a steward. He was entrusted with the care and use of something that did not belong to him. That was the butler's house, but it was not his house. That's the idea of stewardship. Something that is mine, but it's not really mine. I've been entrusted with caring for it. And today, we need to realize that we are all stewards. Now, there is a sense, as we look at Scripture, in which specific stewardships are given to specific Christians. Um, the Bible talks about the stewardship that is given to those who are in leadership, to pastors. But we are all stewards. And you might say, well, what am I a steward of? Well, 1 Peter 4.10 says, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And this verse is directed at all Christians. We are all to be stewards, good stewards, of the manifold grace of God. Now, what does that mean? Well, the idea, the, the word manifold has the idea of being diverse or multifaceted, something that manifests itself in many different ways. And, of course, the idea of grace is generosity. Um, it's God's, to coin a new term, God's givingness. All right? The manifold grace of God. The, the many different ways in which God has given to us we are to be faithful stewards of that. So what has God given you that you don't deserve? Uh, what are all of the things that you could put under that title, the manifold grace of God in your life? Well, all of us could make a long list, but you are a steward of all of those things. Whatever could make themselves uh, could, could make their way onto that list. So this quarter, we're going to be considering the things with which God has entrusted us. Things like money, like health, like time, like skills. And we're going to seek to understand God's plan for them. Now, many Christians, I'm afraid, have a warped view of material things. Uh, we, we tend to go towards one extreme or the other. To one extreme... There are people and there are groups in history that have seen all material things as wicked. Anything material, anything of this world, anything that we can get our hands on, that's bad. That's contrary to, to spiritual things. On the other hand, we can tend to make our lives all about spiritual things. And we go towards spiritual, I'm sorry, all about physical things, all about the material things of this world. And that's what we center our lives around. And either of those extremes is wrong. It is not that on the one side we have spiritual things and on the other side we have material things and they're just totally separate areas of our lives. We see as we consider the idea of stewardship that they must be to considered together. We need to have a spiritual perspective on the material things that we own. So 
we need help seeing these things through a biblical lens. And you might say, stewardship, I've heard, I don't know how many messages on stewardship, you know, how many times at the beginning of a year has a, has a pastor talked about stewardship. I've hold, heard all these things before. Well, I'd simply ask you the question, you're a steward, are you there? Have you arrived? Have you got it all figured out? Are you the perfect, faithful steward you ought to be? And all of us would have to answer no. So let's look at this subject, let's consider what God's Word says, and see what lessons we can learn as we ask the question what, what stewardship is. Take a look with me, please, at Matthew chapter 25. We're going to look at one of Jesus' parables there that I, I trust is going to help us as we consider uh, this subject. Matthew 25, I'm going to read verses 14 to 30. It's an extended passage. I encourage you to follow along in your Bible. And then we're going to take a look at some of the characters, some of the lessons in this passage, and that will serve as our outline this morning. The Bible says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received the one, had received one, went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers. And then at my coming, I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto everyone that hath shall be given and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath and cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what is this parable saying? What, what are the lessons that we can learn from it? Well, first we have to realize that the master in this parable represents God. Um, and of course, I want to give a warning here. As we dive into any parable in Scripture, we can start to want to equate every detail of the parable with another detail. And we need to look at it, we need to learn what's there, and, and push aside what's not there. Uh, so Jesus' parables always have an overarching theme, 
and lessons that we can learn. And so we can see what's clear here, all right? But I do want to I do want to warn you, just be careful uh, as we look at any kind of a lesson like this, any kind of a story. But the master here does represent God. And a consideration of our responsibility as stewards must begin with an understanding of God, who is our master. So think along the lines of what I talked about earlier. I am the butler, he is the Lord. He's the one who owns the house. Uh, So what do we need to understand about God? Well, first of all, God owns everything. If you need a refresher, read Genesis 1, where where God creates all that is. Um, If you make something from materials that belong to you, that thing is yours. Um, Just as a little... little tease here, all right, for my Sunday school lesson with the kids today, I made a little figure out of Play-Doh, okay, and, um, and I, I, I did borrow the Play-Doh, so I guess in this case it doesn't exactly work, but I made that little figure, okay, and it's horrendously ugly, but I made it, and so I've created it with my own hands, um, so I can do with it what I want. I I chose not to, but I could have kept that figure. I could have brought it home with me. I could have carried it around with me. I could have used it for whatever purpose I wanted because it was something that I had made, right? Well, God has created everything. And on an even deeper level, a broader level, all of it belongs to him. So because God has created it all, he can do with it what he wants. Psalm 24, 1, 1 and 2, the Bible says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. God owns everything. He owes no one anything. He has no bounds on what he is allowed to do with his creation because every part of it completely belongs to him. So how does he expect us, as his creatures, to act towards his creation? All right, God makes the rules about what goes on with his creation. So how does he expect us to act towards what he's made? And I think 1 Timothy 6.17 is a really helpful verse. Um, it, it gives us a balance here. The Bible says there, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, richly all things to enjoy. So God wants us as his creatures to enjoy his creation. He said there, God has given us these things richly to enjoy, but he doesn't want us to hoard it or to trust in his gifts instead of trusting in him. And that, thus the warnings to the rich, all right? God has given us all things richly to enjoy, but be careful. Make sure that your attitude towards uh, the things of this earth is right. Again, we, we can tend to go towards one of two extremes here, all right? And so some of us might need to be reminded Yes, we can enjoy the gifts God has given us. Um, There's this attitude sometimes that people have that if I start to enjoy what God has given me, somehow I'm stepping over into an area of sin. If If I start to actually genuinely enjoy this, the life that God has given me, I have to be miserable to be truly spiritual. And, of course, that's foolish. But on the other hand, and I think this is what more of us probably need to be careful about, is... God has not given us all this so that our life can be centered on it. That's why the rich in 1 Timothy 6.17 are charged 
not to be high-minded or to trust in uncertain riches. Because isn't that the tendency? To start to become proud because of all that we have or to start to trust in those things? And you might say, well, you know, that verse isn't for me. I'm not the rich in this world. Well, most of us probably are. But regardless, this is a, this is a, a warning for all of us. So, we need to, we can enjoy the gifts, the, the things that God has created, but we should not set our hearts on them. A godly understanding of stewardship teaches us that we should neither live for belongings or run from belongings. But, we need to understand that God gives people their belongings. Even before the fall, we see this principle. And, and we see that God created mankind for stewardship. If you take a look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, God is speaking to Adam and Eve, and he says in those verses, he tells them to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth. And every tree, in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. So God gave Adam and Eve the food that grew in the garden. And he gave them a responsibility to have dominion or to practice a stewardship over the animals, over the earth that God had created. He gave them this stewardship. And, and you think about it, this was, this was a simple thing for Adam and Eve to understand that God gives us our belongings. Because after all, everything that Adam and Eve had, they'd received directly from God, even their own bodies. Everything that they possessed had come straight from the hand of God. And so it was much easier for them to grasp that truth. But do we grasp that truth? Do we truly understand that just as much as God gave Adam and Eve their belongings, he's given us our belongings? So, do we understand, here's, here's how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Isn't that the attitude we tend to have? We think about the things that we've received as things that we have earned or things that we have acquired for ourselves. Paul said, you don't have anything you haven't received. 1 Samuel 2, 7 tells us, the Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. And I want to be careful how I say this, but there's a lot of time, a lot of attention given to pointing out the inequality of wealth in our world. There are some people who have more, some people who have less. And should there be things done for those who are needy? Absolutely, we're reminded about that in the morning service. But is that somehow reflective on the fact that God messed up? God should have made it so that everyone had just the same amount? Well, no. First Samuel reminds us it is part of God's purpose and plan that some are poor and some are wealthy. That some are lifted up and some are, are humbled. God does that. And so the, the, the um, application, obviously, is personal. You might say, you know, why do I have the things that I have? Or why don't I have the things that other people have? Well, the answer is simply 
Because God gives people their belongings. He distributes as he sees best. So, in Matthew 25, we see the master. And you'll notice in this story, there's an inequality. He does not distribute across the board exactly the same. There's five given to one servant. There's two given to another servant. There's one given to another servant. And why did he do that? Well, we can try to think about why he did it. We would, we would imagine it's because he expected the five-talent servant to be most faithful and the two-talent servant to also be faithful and the one-talent servant, he probably expected him to do something like he did. But we don't know. What we do know is the master had that prerogative. The master could decide, this servant gets more, this servant gets less. And guess what? God can decide the same. And he does. So we can thank God for the belongings we have and we can trust him for what we don't have. So the master represents God. Well, what about the servants? Well, the servants represent man. Uh, we are the servants. The three guys that the master gave those talents to. So we've understood the position that God has what do we need to remember as the servants? Well, first of all, we do not own what we own. And I mentioned this at the beginning. Uh, we might have something and we might call it mine. And if we do it in the right spirit, there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. But what we have to understand is when we say, this is my own, it's not really my own. So what are your most precious belongings? A vehicle, your investments, your home, which for most of us probably belongs to the bank anyway, your kids, especially when it's something that we've worked hard for, we might not like to admit it, but it all belongs to God. Ultimately, it's not mine, it's his. We give the rich young ruler in Luke 18 a hard time, right? He went to Jesus and he talked about all the commandments that he had obeyed and said, what, what more do I need to do? Expecting, I think, that Jesus would say, you've got it, you're in. But instead, Jesus said, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And we say, the foolish young, young ruler, he, he went away sorrowful instead of giving up all his belongings for Jesus. Well, wait a second. How close are we to, to as far as the rich young ruler got? You know, I guess we could ask ourselves the question, how ready are you to submit everything you have to God? Or do you get upset or feel sorry for yourself because God hasn't given you the things you want or that you think you deserve? Maybe a job, a specific job, or a job at all. Uh, maybe a spouse, maybe good health. And often we can look all around us and we say, God hasn't done it right when it comes to my belongings. Well, if we're willing to give them all up for him, then we can trust him for how much he's given us, right? One of the, um, I'm sorry, one of the simplest but hardest lessons for us to learn as stewards is that God gives us what we need and what is best. And that's a really simple thing to say. God will always give me what I need. 
God will always give me what is best. But boy, are those hard things to live by. Are those hard lessons to really take to heart. So we need eternal perspective. We need God's perspective on this. And one of the things that can help us with that is to remember what 1 Timothy 6, 7 says. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Remember what really matters in terms of eternity. And remember that it's all God's anyway. And that will really help us with our perspective on what we have in our attitude, our contentment about it, and also how we use it. So, we do not own what we own. Also, we are only stewards of what we have been given. We are stewards. Everything you think of as yours isn't really yours. It's simply been placed in your care for a time. So, how should that affect our perspective? We really get a, get a hold of this, okay? God owns it all. He's entrusted me with some of it for some period of time. How should that affect our perspective? Well, we should understand that the things we have should be used for God. If they're his ultimately anyway, he's given them to us, yes, to enjoy, but ultimately and primarily for his use. So we ought to use what we have for God. Also, we will be held accountable for how we use what God has given us. Romans fourteen twelve says, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. One day we will give account of our stewardship. And that's the picture that we get in Matthew 25. As these servants are called before the master, they are called to give an account to the master of their stewardship. How have you done with what you've been given? And that's a sobering thought. That is challenging to think about. But it's important, it's vital for us to remember that. And to think that way with what we use, what we have, and how we use it. So along those lines, we should have good reason for how we use God's gifts. We ought to be thoughtful and spiritually focused in the way we use what God has given. And we need to understand that amassing possessions or pursuing our own personal enjoyment, neither of those things is ever the ultimate goal when it comes to what we have. Think about it this way, all right? If someone asks me to take care of their car, all right, and I'm, I'm just dreaming here as far as the specific make and model of car, um, but imagine that, that somebody had asked you to take care of this vehicle, all right? They, they're going to be gone for a, an extended period of time. They want to make sure that it's getting driven. Uh, somebody's keeping an eye on it. So they say, you're welcome to use it uh, while I'm gone, all right? You know, just... Make sure you fill it up at the end, and we're good to go. You can use the car. Just make sure it's taken care of uh, while I'm gone. So you say, well, I'm going to take that car, and I don't really like the paint color very much. Um, in fact, I, I really want to make more of a statement. And so I'm going to take it in somewhere, and I'm going to get it painted a brighter color, uh, whatever your choice would be. Maybe you want to go with red. Uh, maybe a, an, an orange, maybe you want to go really bright and, and bold and go with an electric yellow. But you take it in and you get it painted, all right? And you say, you know, I'm taking care, I'm, I'm paying for this, okay? I'm not even making them pay for it, but I'm improving the look of their vehicle. Um, or maybe you say, you know, I really want to take this and, uh, and I want to turn it into a, a race car. I want to 
take it out on the track and, and race with other people. Or maybe I want to take it out uh, mudding. And, and you, th those are foolish things to consider, right? You say, this isn't my vehicle. Yes, they're allowing me to use it. They've put it in my care and my keeping. And you have a certain degree of liberty with it, right? It's not like you can only use it to go certain places. It, they've given you some liberty, but you're not going to do those kinds of things with it because it doesn't belong to you. You're going to be more careful with it. You're going to be thinking ahead, how can I present this back to them in good shape? How can I put it back in their hands in the kind of condition they put it in mine? And so we understand that with something that somebody puts in our care or that they allow us to borrow. We need to be thinking along the same lines when it comes to the things God has put in our care, which is everything we have. Ultimately, this isn't mine. Do I have a degree of freedom with how I use it? Yes. But do I need to be thinking all along? How am I going to present this back to God? We think about it that way. If I were to, and, and I don't believe this is the way it's going to be, but when I stand before God to give an account, and if I had all the things that he had entrusted to me, and I presented each one back to him, and said, here is how I sought to use this for your glory. Just like those servants presented the talents back and said, here's the five talents and I got five more. Here's the two talents and I got two more. If we had to do that with our belongings, what would that look like? And I think that if we have that kind of a perspective, that that's going to help us to look at this in the right way. So we're all stewards, but what is it that makes a good steward and what makes a poor steward? We see examples of both in Matthew 25 and Jesus uh, parable. First of all, let's look at poor stewardship, which is evidence of no faith. What did the unfaithful servant do, the one who received the one talent? Well, he went and he hid the money. He dug a, dug a hole, put the money in the hole, covered it up, and he neglected his, his responsibility. He had, had something entrusted to his care uh, to try to further the work of the master, and instead he just basically said, as long as I can hold on to what I was given until the master comes back, I'll be good. Maybe he didn't really trust the master to return and demand an account. Maybe he just didn't value his master's words. But we can certainly see that fear had a good deal to do with his decision. He was afraid to step out and actually do something with that talent. He had an inaccurate view of his master, and he acted in fear instead of in faith. He wanted to stick with the bare minimum, uh, and he miscalculated what the bare minimum would be. And I'm afraid that many Christians try to do the same. We receive things from the Lord, and uh, we're perhaps good about about holding on to them, making sure that we don't lose the things that we have, trying to take care of the things that we have, which is good. But we're not stepping out in faith and trying to really use them for the Lord, really exercise their full potential for God's sake. Matthew 6.24 reminds us, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. 
ye cannot serve God and mammon. And we think about our, our belongings, and often we, we kind of think of it this way. Um, maybe it's, it's 50% mine, 50% God's. All right? I make sure that half of what I have goes to God, the other half goes to me. And you say, I'm being really generous, okay? I'm way above the 10% mark. All right? I'm giving half of what belongs to me to God. It's also not 30% to God, 70% to, my, to me. All right? I'll give God three-tenths. I'll give him 30%. I'll, I'll give that part of it to God, and I'll keep the rest for me. Neither is it, I'm going to give 90% to God and keep 10% for myself. And you say, that would be the pinnacle of Christian devotion to God, that I'm only going to keep 10% for me, and the rest of it's going to go to God and his work. Well, we're looking at it the wrong way. You cannot serve God and mammon. Many people think that this is about finding that balance. I've got to figure out how much of me goes to God, and then I can keep the rest for me. How much of my money, how much of my time, how much of my attention, how much of my relationships. I've got to find that balance. I've got to figure out where the percentage point is. Give God what he wants, and then keep the rest for me. I think that was the kind of attitude that this servant had. He thought, as long as I give back to the master what he's given to me, I'll be fine. I can spend my time and energy on something else. While the other servants were passionate to try to make more for their master, try to do the best they could with what they had. I think many people think that Christian stewardship is, I give 10% of my money to God and the other 90% to me. Um, as long as I hit that mark, I'm okay. And I'll, I'll go over that sometimes. Sometimes I'll give in special offerings. Sometimes I'll I'll make sure that you know, I'm, I'm over the 10% mark and that'll make me feel good about myself. Um, many people perhaps would, they would see Christian stewardship as I'm going to tell enough other people that I'm a Christian to keep from ge- feeling guilty. You know, I want to make sure the people I work with know I'm a Christian. So I'm going I'm to slip that in there somewhere. But I'm not really going to boldly try to share the gospel with them. I'm, I'm just going to hit the mark that I have to as a good steward, as long as they know that I'm not some horrible pagan person, then I've hit, hit the good enough mark. Uh, perhaps people think that Christian stewardship is, I come to church or I watch church online on Sunday morning, and then I forget about spiritual things through the rest of the week. I give God, that's the, the time that he asks for. Or maybe it's three times a week. I, I'm going to do Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. That's the time I give to God, and the rest of it's mine. And I think we've all struggled with falling into that kind of an outlook on things. And we're trying to do this balancing act. I've got to figure out how to balance this right so that I'm giving God enough that he's not upset with me. And then I can keep the rest for me. But that's not what God desires. That's not faith. That's not faithful stewardship. God said you really can't be serving the two masters at the same time. 
At the end of the day, if that's your perspective on things, then your master is not God, your master is me. Or your master is mammon, the belongings, the things of this world. But it's either going to be 100% God's or it's 100% mine. There's not a middle ground. So what is faith? What is it to be a faithful steward? Um, Faith is stepping out. It's taking the initiative to accomplish what we believe will please the master. There's a degree of passion, a pursuing of excellence that's involved in that. Think about this with me. If the one talent servant had gone out and he said, I think that if I invest the one talent in this way, that it's going to bring back a dividend. Perhaps I think that I'm going to be able to double that amount. I'll be able to do more than the others did percentage-wise, and I can bring back two talents by the time the master comes back. I've heard about this investment that I can make, and I think that's the best thing to do. And he'd put that one talent in the investment, and despite his, his attempts, despite his research, it ended up falling apart. And he ended up with half a talent at the end of the time. He'd lost some of the money. How do you think the master would have responded? Well, there's no knowing. But I believe that it would not have been the anger that he experienced here. It might have been, well, that was a foolish thing to do. You shouldn't have, you shouldn't have invested at that time that, that way. That wasn't very wise. But I believe he would have received praise from the master. At least you made an attempt. At least you stepped out and tried to do something for me. At least you did your best. And you might have lost part of what you had in the, in, the, in the attempt, and it might have ended up failing, but you were stepping out in faith. Instead of acting in fear and hiding it away, you were trying to do something that you believed would please me. You did something that you thought would bring honor and glory and furtherance to me. Now, this is an earthly master. But if we act in fear like this servant did, how does our master, how does the Lord look at that? Honestly, if we go through life this way, like that one talent servant, it's hard to say that he truly even is our master. If you never step out in faith trying to use what God has given you for his glory, do you even know him? And and we reflect on that as we read this story because you look at the servant and where does he end up at the end? He's in outer darkness. He's been cast out. And that's not saying that, well, if you mess up and you fail and you don't do your best, that God is going to reject you and you're not going to be saved anymore. What I do think it reflects on is if that's your heart, do you even know him in the first place? This servant here was not a servant, he was a servant in position, but he was not a servant in heart. He had no allegiance to his master. He was just trying to make it by the best he could. So, poor stewardship is a sign of no faith. Faithful stewardship is all about glorifying God. So what made the others good stewards? Well, obedience, that's the big thing a respect for their master. 
They were concerned about doing their best because they cared about how it reflected on their master. They were willing to take risks. You don't make five talents back from five talents without taking some risks, without really trying to be wise and careful and, and making some, some steps that other people might raise their eyebrows at. All right, they took some risks. They stepped out by faith. They were productive. They used their time wisely. They used their time for the master. It doesn't take any time at all to dig a hole and throw a talent in there and cover it back up. But it took time for these servants to make money back on their investments. And they expectantly waited for the master. They had patience and they had expectation that he would come again. The heart of a faithful steward desires to use what he has to further the master's agenda and to try to bring attention, respect, and honor to his master. That's why the master cared how these servants used what they'd been given, because it didn't reflect just on the servants, it reflected on the master. He's not just trying to get rich, he's trying to use what he has in a way that people are going to honor him. And so when the two servants were faithful, that reflected well on the master. When the other servant was foolish... That reflected poorly on the master. A faithful steward cares about his actions and how he uses what he has and how it's going to reflect on the master, the Lord. He cares about that. He thinks about that. He considers that in the way he uses what he has. And we as Christians are certainly motivated to bring glory to God for several reasons. We're motivated by his love. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. He gave up all that he had for us. Christ set aside the riches of heaven in order to die for us. That kind of love, that kind of generosity, that kind of giving. We're motivated by that. We're motivated by God's generosity. 1 Peter 4.10, we, we mentioned this earlier, as every man hath received the gift, oh, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Why do we have anything that we can give to others? Why do we have anything that we can share, that we can contribute? Because of God's generosity. We're motivated by his love and by his generosity. We're also motivated by judgment day. First, uh, second, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So we're motivated by how God has been good and loving and generous to us. We're also motivated to realize one day I am going to give an account. One day I will stand before God. And we don't know exactly what that will look like, but we have a picture of it here in Matthew 25. Of course, it's a parable. Again, we can only draw so much from that, but someday we will stand before God. And we must consider what will he say to us. Will we get a response like those first two servants got? Because we have been faithful stewards. We've been careful and we've been purposeful 
and we've been focused on His glory with the things that we have? Or will we get a response of disappointment? How could you be so foolish? Why did you waste what I was given, what I gave to you? Faithful stewards care deeply about the master's glory. They are concerned in everything they do about how it reflects on the one who has given them what they have. So remember the butler. Back as I talked about earlier. A good butler is going to care about how everything he does reflects on that family. That family has a reputation to uphold. They want others to look at them and see them as an example of what it is to be a good, uh, good aristocracy. And we say, well, that's a, a foolish goal. That's not worthy. But the butler's concerned about that. If a butler's not concerned about that, not trying to do everything in such a way that he'll be presenting his employers well, that he'll be giving them a good name, he's not going to stay employed for very long. How much more important is it that we, as God's stewards, are concerned about what kind of a name we're giving him with what we do with what he's given us? So in conclusion, when we really believe God owns everything, when we have that attitude, that's going to free us in some ways. First of all, it's going to free us from our circumstances. When my plans for my money and my time get thrown off, that's okay. When my health falls apart, that's okay. Why? Well, because even when my plans fall apart, God oversees my circumstances. Uh, I'm not responsible for doing what I thought I'd be able to accomplish. And I appreciate appreciated pastor's message the other day where he was talking about our to-do list and God's to-do list. I'm not responsible to accomplish everything on my to-do list. I'm only responsible to act in a way that pleases God in the midst of whatever circumstance I face. So we talked about God's transcendence last Sunday, and I used an illustration talking about an airplane. All right? I want to go back to that illustration, okay? You're in an airport. You're getting ready to leave on an airplane. And all of a sudden it starts to snow and it's getting heavier and heavier. And you're starting to realize this is not good. The airplane's not going to be able, they're going to have to close the runway. The airplane's not going to be able to take off. My flight's going to get canceled or postponed and my trip's going to be thrown off and I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, what ought your response be to be in a situation like that? My plans are getting turned on their head. I thought I had this all figured out. I thought I knew where I was going to go and when I was going to go. And I had it scheduled and I had it, I, you know, I've got a, a connecting flight to make and this is going to mess everything up. Well, when we understand all I have belongs to God, that frees us in situations like that. I thought I knew how I was going to use my time. I thought I knew what I was going to do today. God decided otherwise. And that's not something that I need to get stressed about. That's not something I need to be anxious about. That's not a reason to fear. Instead, it's already all God's. 
So I realize it's all in your hands, God. You've got something for me for my time. You've got something for me for my day. And now I'm seeking the Lord. And how can I steward this unexpected opportunity that he's given to me? When we really have that, that perspective, God owns everything, it frees us from our circumstances. Not in a way that we just pretend bad things don't happen, but that we realize God's got this. He's in charge. He's got a hold on all of it. I don't have any responsibility to anyone other than God with how I use my time, with how I use my resources, so if my car breaks down, God had that figured out. It frees us from our circumstances. It also frees us from guilt. God has given us what we have. And yes, it's only temporary. God has not called us. I'm sorry. Sometimes I can't understand my own notes. But God has given us what he has given us. All right? Um, all of these things in, on the earth are only temporary. Okay? And we have to realize that. But that doesn't mean that we can't enjoy them. All right? If we realize God owns this all and he's chosen to give me what I have, I am free to enjoy the gifts that God has given. Now, of course, we understand that that's, that's secondary to glorifying God, and therefore there's lots of considerations we have with that. Of course, we're not going to be enjoying things that are sinful. We're not going to be enjoying things over glorifying God. But it frees us from guilt when we do enjoy the life God has given us, when we do enjoy the gifts that God has bestowed on us. That's a good thing. In fact, it brings glory to God. If we are enjoying the gifts of God and keeping our perspective on Him, that's pleasing to God. It's, God. it's honoring to God. He enjoys it when we enjoy what He has given us. Think about if you were house-sitting for someone, all right, and in weather very different from this, um, they had a pool, an in-ground pool. I guess not very different from this. We've got a warm day today, but um, they've got an in-ground pool, and they tell you, you know, you know, you can want you to watch over the house, whatever. You're welcome to use the pool while you're here. And you say, man, that sounds great. You know, maybe you get some of that hot weather we tend to get around here, and you say that pool is very inviting. I want to spend some time in the pool, but you say, I, I'm, I'm not here to enjoy myself. I'm here to to make sure their house is okay. I'm here to make sure things are secure. I'm here to make sure that everything is okay when they get back. I'm not here to have fun. And so you might kind of feel guilty about, I'm actually going to swim in the pool. I'm actually going to enjoy my time here. Well, if those people got back and you told them, you know, I, I, everything's fine with the house, but I just, I just didn't, I didn't feel like I could enjoy the pool. You know, that's not what I was here about. Well, they'd probably be disappointed by that. If instead you said, yeah, I had a great time, I, you know, swam in the pool, my kids had lots of fun there, it was great, thank you so much. They're going to be happy about that. They're not going to be upset, they're not going to say, well, that's not why I had you here. And so, when we have the right perspective on this, it frees us 
to enjoy what God has given us in the right way. And finally, it frees us to be generous. Most people see generosity um, along the lines of the pie chart we looked at earlier. All right? I, I need to give a certain amount to God. I need a certain amount for me to live on. And then I've got a certain amount that's free for me to give to others. And that's going to be a small slice of the pie. It's going to be a certain percentage of what I have. Or it's just going to be once I balance the budget, whatever's left over. Well, if we see our use of all our resources as centered on God's glory, then we're just as happy to give to the needs of others as we are to, to contribute to our own needs. God is honored by both. God is honored when we use what he has given to take care of our needs. God is honored when we use what we've been given to take care of others' needs. And so if we realize it's all God's anyway, there's not this, this holding back, but it's mine, I want to make sure you know, that I have everything that I, I, I need and I've got to keep this certain amount aside. No, if we realize it's all God's anyway, then when God prompts us to be generous, when we're presented with a need and we realize that's something I can be a part of, we're free to do that when we realize it's all God's anyway. He owns it all. It was never mine. It never will be mine. I just get to be a channel for it to go where God wants it to go. If you were tasked with taking care of someone's garden while they were out of town, and they said, you know, please just make sure everything's okay, keep it weeded, but you're welcome to whatever grows in the garden, you know, whatever ripens while I'm away. Well, you're going to, and, and I know many of you are, are really good about being generous with the things from your own garden, but especially if it's somebody else's, you're going to be that much more free to be generous with it, right? Well, it's not mine anyway, this is just something extra, you know, I'm taking care of somebody else's garden and there's some extra stuff there. And so I'm going to be generous with it. I'm going to give it to others as much as it can be a blessing to them, as much as they can enjoy it. You're going to have that freedom because you realize it's not really mine anyway. Well, that's the truth with all of the things that we have. So a reminder once again of the words of 1 Peter 4.10, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. What kind of a steward are you? Do you recognize that God owns everything? And that you're only a steward of what's in your hands? Are you a faithful steward or a poor steward? It really comes back to, what is my perspective? How do I look at the things that I have? How do I look at God's ownership of everything? How do I respond when I don't have the things that I wish I had? Or that God decides to entrust me with something that I really didn't want to be entrusted with? How do I look at that? What's my perspective on that? Am I looking at it as, this is mine and I'll give God some of it to make him happy? And I'll give other people some of it to make them and make God happy? Or is God just made me a steward? He's entrusted it to me for a certain amount of time. Only he knows how long. And my number one goal 
is just to give honor and glory to Him. To step out in faith in the way that I'm using what He's given me. It's an interesting picture that we get in Matthew 25. And it's repeated in Luke 12. These good stewards, you've got two faithful stewards. They're commended by their master. And then what happens? It says, Thou hast been faithful over a few things, I will make thee ruler over many things. And there's this picture we get in Scripture, and it's not explained super clearly, and so it leaves some questions, but it looks like God is going to entrust us in eternity with responsibility based on how faithful we are with what he's given us here on earth. At the very least, if we are faithful with what God has given us here on earth, that he will entrust us with more here on earth. That's not to say, well, as long as I use my money wisely, God's going to make me rich. Stewardship looks like many different things in many different ways. But it's an interesting picture. Is God entrusting you with more because you've been faithful with a little? And will he one day say, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Well done, a good and faithful servant. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.